Hey, well, uh, I'm so glad you're here. You know, I love my mom so much, and one of the things I love about her is that she is... um, She's direct. I mean, she's from the mountains. She's not politically correct. She doesn't, she doesn't mix words. You know, and I grew up in a home where you said what you meant, and she meant it, and she carried it out, and you never were unclear of what she meant. You know, there was no code. There was no translation needed. You got it. And I really appreciated that, although sometimes it was harsh, and it was redirecting, but she didn't put up with it. My mom was a single mom for a season in her life, and uh, boy, she didn't, she didn't play. Uh, she was trying to survive. And uh, so I have so much respect for my mom because of that, because she raised three kids, and she made it work on a, on a secretary's salary that worked for the government, and we're so thrilled. I think that's why my uh, mom has such a sweet spot in her heart for single parents here. It's hard. It's hard to see it be a single parent. Mother Day, Mother's Day kind of reinforces that. So uh, uh, we know kind of what you're going through for sure. I, I, I mentioned all that because James in the book of James is like that. James is so direct. He's not politically correct. He is direct. And you don't have to wonder, what does he mean by that? I mean, it's right out there. Now, James has a lot of credibility because he didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. He wasn't one of the 12. He didn't follow Jesus for three years. He's not part of the gospel accounts, right? But after the resurrection, because he was his half-brother, he was marrying Joseph's son, grew up in the same house, all that stuff, He figured it out. If your brother can predict his own death, burial, and resurrection and then pull it off, you start believing him. So James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so we ought to listen to that brother. He's got something to say here to us that's really, really helpful. Now, you thought last week was kind of difficult. We talked about having joy in the midst of trials. And what he was saying there, and this is the whole theme of the book of James, is that our faith in God ought to make a relevant impact in our lives as we live it, even in the most difficult of times. It was very difficult to have a perspective with God, a bigger picture that allows us to have a joy in the midst of difficulties. Well, today is another sort of in-your-face kind of direct thing that uh, we have to deal with. Here's what he says in James chapter 1, verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, I like the way he starts this paragraph because what he's saying here is, hey, we're just family. Let me talk to you. You know how when other people are over at your house, you don't speak the same way? You're real nice, you know, but you, you know, you, you know, when your kids are misbehaving and you got guests over, a mom can cut her eyes at her kids that will bring them to their knees. I mean, really, it's just that kind of deal. Well, he's saying, hey, we're just family here. We're all followers of Christ. So let me tell you something, family, that you need to hear. And this is what he says. Do take note of this. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Those three things. Quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And there's a reason why James says this. This is the purpose, right? So that your faith will make a difference in the way you live your life. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, what James is saying is God's trying to shape and mold our character. We're not really willing participants all the time, but he's given us some really clear direction on how to hear from God and stop speaking so much and how to apply this. And I think these three things go together. When you're quick to listen, slow to speak, I think your anger does diminish. This is the goal. This is the rich part of any relationship, especially this first part that just disappeared. The idea of, there it is, this idea of being quick to hear or being a good listener. I am not a good listener. 
When you're talking to me, I'm thinking of my response. I've had to go to a lot of counseling to figure this out, right? And so I, I, I'm telling you, I am so slow to hear. I am a better speaker. That's why they give me a microphone and the light, but it just doesn't work at home with your relationships with your wife and your kids. And so what James is saying here is, man, we've got to come to a place in our life where we put others first and we're good to good listeners here, that we're really good listeners and we're slow to speak. And the re reason this is important for any relationship is when you're a good listener, it allows the other person to feel heard. And when other people feel heard, well, they feel valued and they feel loved. And this is a skill, especially if you're in your argument or emotions are high and you're trying to have this and you have a point and you're probably right. Congratulations. But somewhere along the way, you got to figure out if you want to be right or you want to be together because those two things don't always go together, right? And so you, you got to be a good listener. And so oftentimes, oftentimes what you've got to figure out when somebody's talking to you, whether it's your children or a colleague or your spouse or a love interest, whatever it is, you got to figure out, is this conversation one that this person wants to hear me to hear them or help them? Is this a hear me kind of conversation or help me kind of conversation? And here's a hint, guys. I'm talking to the men now. Listen, it's usually a hear me, not a help me. I am Mr. Fix-It. So as Lisa's talking, we've been married 34 years. So when Lisa's talking, I go, oh, I can fix it. Oh, I, I see the problem. I can fix that. And most of the time, listen, if you don't know the difference, like, and you're in a conversation, you're going, I don't know if this is a hear me or a help me. Let me tell you, it's a hear me. They don't need your help, okay? Don't work till you get hired, okay? I mean... <laughs> If there ain't a question mark on the end of it, don't respond, okay? Like, what do you think? That's the key. You want to know what I think? Oh, my goodness. Let me help you. But most of the time, my wife doesn't need any help from me. She just wants to hear me. And when I do hear her, she feels so valued, so valued. She, she's like, oh, and I just sit down. I'm telling you, man, this is taking me such a discipline to do. I sit down, and I look her in the eye, and she's telling me the story about this thing that's happened and all this stuff. And I got to be interested in this deal. And so I'm totally in. And so there's three things you ought to be listening for, okay? One, you're listening for understanding. You're saying, okay, what is their understanding of the situation they're describing here, okay? This is particularly a lot of fun with your granddaughter who's four, and they're trying to explain to her the major problems she's had at preschool today. So you're trying to say, what is your understanding of this problem? Okay, that's really good. The second thing is you're, you're looking for under, not understanding, but perspective. Like you understand the problem, but how are they looking at the problem? Like, what do you see? So this is the opportunity to ask a few questions about what they see, not to fix anything, but how are they seeing the problem? And the third thing's really the most important. Here's what you're listening for. You're listening for the hurt. You're listening for the pain. You're listening to why this is a problem. And to be honest with you, a lot of things that my wife's talking about or my kid's talking about, my grandkids talking about, I can't see the problem, but I'm listening. And it's like, oh, that. And so when I'm on my game, which isn't very regular, but when I'm on my game, man, I'm a good listener. And I'm in like, and I'm going, oh, that, oh, that stinks. Oh. And I'm able to communicate that I hear what she's saying and I understand her perspective and I connect with her hurt. And I'm telling you, it opens Lisa up to like, oh my gosh, it's so sweet. I said, I'm so sorry this happened. That must've been very hurtful. Again, I'm fighting internally the idea of I can fix this. And so I'm just not saying any suggestions. I'm just 
communicating, I hear you, I see you, I believe in you, I can't believe that happened. And oh man, Lisa's countenance just changes. And she goes, oh, you're so sweet. You know, thank you for listening. Thank you for hearing me. And then I made a couple of mistakes along this line about right here. I'll say, really? You, you think I'm sweet? And she, yeah, oh, it's so kind. I said, well, I do hear what you're saying. Do you want to make out? And um, <laughs> I just felt like I had some momentum going. You know, I had some momentum going. A certain, totally wrecks the whole conversation at that point. It's like, no, I thought you were, you were just manipulating me. I go, well, I'm, I'm growing. You know, that kind of deal. <laughs> But I'm telling you, being slow, I mean, quick to hear is such a powerful thing. And what James is talking about really isn't about just our relationships with one another. He's talking about our relationship with God. How much are you spending time with God listening? Like you open the Bible and you're trying to hear something you want to hear. Like you're coming to a sermon, right? You come to a sermon. Are you really listening and hoping God speaks? Or are you, are you not? You know, that, that's the kind of thing. So the second thing he says is, man, be slow to speak. And the reason he says that is because the tongue is a very difficult weapon used in the wrong way. In fact, in chapter 3, James talks about it this way. He says, listen, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a small bit in its mouth. Now, we're all from Texas, so we understand that what he's talking about here. Then he gives this other illustration. He says, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. So you understand this. Now he turns it towards the tongue in what we say in our speech. He says this, in the same way as you understand that, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flamethrower. That's how I see it. It's such a weapon that could cause such a fire. You said something, right? And, and James goes on and gives this, he, he doesn't quit here. He's saying, listen, people, it is a whole world of wickedness, this tongue of yours. Corrupting your entire body. They can set the whole, your whole life on fire. This could wreck all your relationships. For it can set on fire by hell itself. I mean, don't you just like James? He's like, oh, this is a big deal. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. And many of us are sitting here, or you're at West End, or you're over at Missouri City, and you, you can remember, even though you're my age, I'm 58 years old next month, and you can remember things your mother or father or a friend or somebody, a teacher or a coach said to you that just cut you to the quick. I remember that. I remember my dad drinking and saying things I'll never forget. My biggest regret as a dad is the things I said to my kids when I was angry. You can't unsay them. You can apologize, which I did, but you can't unsay them. And that's what James is talking about. It just wrecks everything. Taming the tongue requires faith. It requires this faith that somehow in the mind, in the midst even of these emotional things that you are, you are quick to hear and slow to speak so that your anger doesn't get the best of you. Because when your anger gets the best of you, and I've got a short fuse, I get, I get mad quick. 
When that happens, man, I'm telling you, you say things and you can't unsay them. There's a couple of voices I have in my head through, I've developed, it's really been helpful. Like when you say something you shouldn't say. Like, I've been married a long time, but in the first few years I said some dumb things. Here's one of them. I said to Lisa in the middle of an argument, <clears throat> that's just like your mother. Don't judge me. She goes, like my mother. I go, yeah, well. And now I've developed this voice in my conscience. So when I say something stupid, it just happens. And this voice says to me, I don't think I'd have said that. I don't think I'd have said that. I mean, I say something, and you can see it in somebody's face. And I don't think I'd have said that. The other thing I do that's just a terrible habit is I say, I, I just keep talking keep talking and keep talking about it, kind of like I'm doing now. Just keep talking about it. And this other voice pops in my mad head that helps me, and the voice says, shut your mouth. <laughs> Just shut your mouth. So if I can listen to those voices, which I believe are from God, I don't believe I'd have said that, and shut your mouth, all my relationships get better. So as I get older, I speak less. It's been awesome. My relationships are so much better. I don't know how that works. It's a powerful thing. And James has given this very direct relationship uh, advice to us so that our relationships and our faith will grow. And he warns us. Here's what he says back in chapter one. He says, do not, be, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Here, let's all read this out loud together. Missouri City, West End, here at Richmond. These words that are highlighted. Ready? Here we go. Do what it says. This is where the magic happens in our life. You got to do it. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he was looking at. Now, here's the illustration. It took me a while to kind of figure this out. But when you looked in the mirror today, and some of you didn't, <laughs> okay, and, uh, but most of you did. You looked in the mirror and you said, oh, and all of a sudden when you look in the mirror, there's corrections that need to be made right? Like I wanted to make sure my beard was on point, and it is. <laughs> Mom, thank you. But you don't want to look in the mirror and see something in your teeth or your hair is messed up or your eyebrows going the wrong way. I've got this unibrow I've got to maintain, you know? And so I'm looking in the mirror. It'd be like what he's saying here. It'd be like you looking at the mirror, seeing the need for correction, but walking off forgetting to make the correction, that you don't do the thing that you know you need to do. And he says, how ridiculous would that be? You look in the mirror to make corrections. You want to change. You want to improve what's going on. He says that's the same way when it comes to hearing from God. Here's what he says. But whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom, in other words, what God says gives us freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, but doing it, they will be blessed in what, what they do. Now, here's a strong warning. It goes on. 
Those who consider themselves religious, which most people here would consider themselves religious, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and the religion is worthless. You know what makes religion worthless is when it doesn't make an impact in your life. This is why so many people, especially young people in their 20s, have walked away from the church. The church is to blame for this in many, many ways. Our church in general too. But for many people, there's this crossroads that you come to where you're going to have to figure out, am I going to to do what God's given me direction to do, or I'm going to do life on my own. I'm just going to do what I think's best. Actually, what you're going to do is you're going to do what everybody else is doing. And you're going to be chasing happiness in a way that everybody else is chasing happiness. And what James would say is that kind of life where you're exercising your free will to do whatever you want to do doesn't result in character change or happiness or blessing or freedom. That the freedom that comes from, it comes from doing it, being compliant. This is why there's a lot of religious people in the world that really has no relationship to God when it comes to living it out in the world. It's a religious system. Religion does not provide freedom. Religion is a ball and chain. It's the rules, it's regulations. There's no relationship. It's what you ought to be doing. It's me-centered. But a relationship with Jesus Christ is about Christ being the leader of your life. And when he says and talks and directs, you know he's got your happiness in mind. And he wants to do something amazing in your life. But you have to exercise your free will. And this is where most of us fall apart. We don't want to follow God. We want to follow what we want to do. Until our life just doesn't make any sense anymore. God's always waiting there for you, just like a good mom would to have you back. See, it's about the practice. And so if you're not signing up to become something different, you're gonna miss all of that God has for you. If you're happy with your character development and what you're, what you're all about right now, then you're gonna miss really the real rich things that God has for you in this life. And I think you'll be chasing joy and peace and contentment the rest of your days. But what builds your faith is hearing, listening, and doing. I'm going to do this. I recognize years ago I'm not a very good listener, so I'm going to become a good listener. And I want to exercise my free will to follow God even when I don't understand it and even when I don't want to. And I don't do it perfectly. I'm not that guy. I'm just saying this is the general direction of my life is to follow God. So it builds this pattern in our life to where we say, okay, I don't, have to, I don't have to figure this all out myself. God's given me leadership and direction. I think that's what God's wanting us to do. He wants us to exercise our free will to follow him. It's like a, a parent or a mom. You know, your mom, my mom wanted me to follow directions. And I didn't do that. And it broke her heart at times. I uh, had this experience um, this week at the Richmond campus. Uh, I, ca I went to lunch and I came back and there was these, all these sheriff's officers, they had stopped a car on our campus here and there was three teenagers sitting out on the curb. And I go, what's going on, Sheriff? And they said, well, these kids, <laughs> teenagers, <laughs> I'm so glad, anyway. So these teenagers. They were doing donuts in your parking lot. I said, donuts in the parking lot? Oh, he said, oh, man, they were getting it. I said, well, how'd you catch them? 
They said, well, we're sitting right there. <laughs> Teenagers are not the smartest people in the world. We're sitting right there. We watch the whole thing. There's five policemen. They're all doing their reports in the shade under our canopy here. And I watched them do it. And we go, oh my. and it wasn't like one or two or three. He was like, <laughs> I go, are you kidding me? They said, no, we got it on video. They showed me the video. I go, man, these are some dumb kids. And so I looked up and that truck had an RPC sticker on it. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, we're reaching the right people. And then this happened. So the police, the dad was out of town. The police called the mom and the mom shows up. She recognized me and I gave her a big hug, tears in her eyes. And you could just see the heartbreak in her heart. And I told her, I said, man, don't you worry about this. I'm sorry your boy did this, but I'm telling you, you're gonna be okay. Gave her a big, I told her about my family, about my kids, them doing their own thing and how heartbreaking that was for us. And I told him this, I learned this in counseling, so I shared it with her. I said, listen, your children's poor behavior is not a report card on your parenting. They got a free will, and they can do whatever they want. And when they get to 16, 17, 18 years old, 20s, they do whatever they want. And it doesn't matter what happened. Now, they usually come back, but not always. And she said, I know we've been having so much trouble. And what you could see in this mom's heart is brokenheartedness. And I've been there. And I wonder how that, if that's how God is. When we know what to do and we don't do it just because we want to do our own thing. This is why so many people have walked away because it didn't make a relevant difference. If this idea of a relationship with God doesn't change your sense of joy and happiness and contentment, if it doesn't penetrate sort of who you are, this is just religion and you come on spe special days, but it doesn't really make a difference. And that's why God says you need practice. You got to practice this. You got to have a, a pattern of hearing and obeying and quit talking and because knowing is not enough. Knowing is not enough. It's more than the knowing. It's about, it's about the doing. And that's what James is wanting to make sure that we understood. It was about the doing. It was about this idea that you follow him. That's what every mom wants from their child, is for them to trust their mom or dad and follow doesn't always work out that way, but that's where the blessing, that's where the happiness happens. I hope you have a great Mother Day, Mother's Day. I hope your kids follow your lead. I, I, I hope all that, but most of all, I hope you understand that God loves you and wants this incredible relationship with you that makes a difference in your life. Let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, our tongue is so toxic at times. And we, we say things that just hurt people so much in the fit of anger or just in a weak moment. And I just pray that, God, you'd heal these relationships. And I pray you'd bless every mom here that, that's struggling with their kids that are doing their own thing. And I pray specifically for this mom and their family as they try to figure out where to go from here. And I pray, oh God, that we would be like the children you want us to be, that we would hear, we'd understand, and we'd obey. That somehow in that simplistic deal, our faith would explode and our life would take off. 
And I pray, oh God, that you would bless in a way that allows us to experience all that you want us to have in this lifetime. May we treasure our children and our children treasure us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.